This is the Skyline SIV podcast. If you would like to connect with us, head on over to our website at skylinesib.com and follow us on social media at Skyline SIB on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. You ready for the word this morning? I'm excited about the word this morning. We continue our series on the book of Malachi. And today, we come to Malachi chapter 2. And I want to begin, you know, unusually, not with the first verse in Malachi chapter 2, but with the last verse. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. I'm reading from the Good News Bible. It reads, You have tired the Lord out with your talk. But you ask, How have you tired Him? By saying, The Lord Almighty thinks all evildoers are good. In fact, He likes them. Or by asking, where is the God who is supposed to be just? In other words, the people of God during Malachi's time were just having a conundrum where they are waiting for God and they don't see anything that's good that's coming to them. In fact, they see evil multiplying and good things happening to evil people. And when they are living a good life, not many good things happen to them. They're getting a little bit fed up. Where is this God who is supposed to be just? And that's why they asked, why bother with God? Which is our sermon title this morning, the message from Malachi chapter 2. Now, Malachi's prophecy came at a time in the history of the nation of Israel when the people of God had come back from their exile uh, from Babylon, and after it was taken by the, over by the Persian Empire, when the Persian emperor released them to come back, whoever wanted to come back, to come back to the, to the nation of Israel. Malachi's prophecies came about a hundred years after the return of Jews from exile in Babylon. By that time, the temple had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel. And Nehemiah had also returned to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Ezra, the priest, had also come back with thousands of Jews and recited to them the law and told the people of God they must keep God's law and observe it. In that time, Nehemiah had returned back to the Persian Empire, emperor to serve as the cupbearer. And it was during this time, things got from bad to worse. A hundred years after the return from exile, uh, Malachi prophesied because the people had been waiting ever since the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, when they first came back, had prophesied that God was going to come back in His glory. The glory of the latter house, the latter days would be greater than that of even the former. And the people were expectant, but nothing was happening and things got from bad to worse. And that's why they came to a time in their lives when they said, why bother with God? At that point in time, Jerusalem as a city was just a little, you know, a town, a sleepy hollow on a small hillock and surrounded by relatively barren land. And the people in the provincial areas were really antagonistic towards the Jews who were coming back. They did not receive them at all. And they were trying to, to, to stop them from coming back. And they were, the whole of the city of Jerusalem was largely, on, or sparsely, unpop, was largely and sparsely populated that time. 
uh, and the surrounding areas that were barren. Uh, it was a tough life during that for those exiles who first came back. They were trying to farm the land, but not getting good crops, not getting good harvest. Sometimes uh, local swarms would come and eat up the crops, and uh, they had to start all over again. And in that time, you know, while they were struggling, they were waiting for the glory to come back greater than the former time. They came back because they thought they could make a difference and that they would be, you know, rolling in prosperity. But nothing happened and therefore they cried out to God. Why bother with God? And this is the, 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 the message of Malachi chapter 2. The people of God had become complacent, contented, and callous during this time. Uh, so much so that it had a devastating effect on their walk with God. With, now, you must understand that at this point in time, they had learned their lesson. They no longer went back to idolatry. Because after 70, 70 years of captivity in Babylon and eventually the Persian Empire, they, 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 they did not go back to idolatry again. But they had come to a point in their lives when they continued to attend church, went to the temple worship totally out of tradition, out of ritual. It was ritual without reality. It was, it was, there was no sense of priority. In fact, they were always trying to argue within themselves how much time they really had to spend in worshipping God in the temple. You know, would, would one Sunday or one Sabbath day in two months be enough? Or needed, was it needed to be a two Sabbaths out of, you know, in two months? Something like that. They were always arguing how much they could get away with and, you know, with religion and still look reasonably holy. And also at the same time, they were arguing amongst themselves and with themselves as to how much they really needed to give God and get away with it. In other words, how big was the temple, how small they could put the temple coin into the offering of the temple and still get away with it. You know, in other words, you know, how much could they tip God instead of even giving Him a gift, let alone a tithe? And this was the situation of the people in those days. The priests were even worse during that time. They had become like the people. And the priests were now doing their duties in the temple. You know, you know, receiving the sacrifices from people and presenting the sacrifices to God, but they were doing it totally out of a sense of religious duty. They, they, they were just getting a living out of it. They were very casual in the way they did it. There was no sense of reverence, no sense of excitement, no sense of passion. And they taught the scriptures rarely. And when they did teach, it was kind of a, a half-truth. And the casual way in which they did this, you know, they couldn't be bothered about the attendance of the people at the temple worship. They couldn't care how many people came to church on a Sunday. They couldn't be bothered whether it was passionate, true, authentic worship. They were just, you know, going by their duties out of obligation in order just to collect their salary and make a living out of that. And that is happening even in churches today when pastors do that out of a sense of duty or just obligation. And God was speaking to them during this time. And because of their casual way, that they, you know, you don't have to give your best to God. Whatever you give, you give. Lah. And God could do with the second best, just like Pastor Rach preached last week. You know, They gave the best with the second best. It was acceptable to the priest. And they told the people it was, it was okay. And because of that, it had a devastating effect 
on both the spirituality and the moral values of the people of God in God's house and in the land. It was against this background that God brought the prophet Malachi. And Malachi chapter 2 begins by addressing the priests first. And these are the words starting from verse 1 to 9. And now, O priests, this commandment, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offering. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. It was a covenant of fear. And he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways. Malachi chapter 2 has three major lessons for us on the way we should guard, what we should guard against in our spiritual walk with God. Because sometimes just familiarity breeds a kind of contentment and sometimes even contempt for the things of God and for God Himself. We're so familiar that we think that we just can get away with doing the minimal and that our spirit has actually faded in terms of its passion for God and intimacy with God. And God seems far away and we don't even know it. There are three things the book of Malachi in chapter 2 warns us against. And three things we must guard against in our spiritual walk with God. And the first thing we must guard against is ritual without reality. See, the priests, they were going through the rituals, the motions, just gaining a living. But there was no reality of God in their lives. You know, let me tell you that, that, uh, about the de Havilland uh, Comet uh, that was a, a British commercial jetliner that was first produced in 1952, commercially produced. In the whole world, this was the first commercially produced jetliner. It was British. And this was a de Havilland Comet 1. Within a year or two after it started flying commercially, it started to break, you know, it started to have experienced multiple crashes. Uh, there was one time it crashed on takeoff from Calcutta. Another time it just broke up in midair. Another time it just plunged into the sea of Naples in Italy. And uh, people were just wondering why. And they couldn't figure it out. The aviation experts couldn't figure out why. So after 1952-53, when all these crashes happened, they certified the, the, the plane fit. Because they couldn't find out why. They certified it fit for flying again in 1954. And within a couple of months after it was certified fit for flying again, you know, another accident happened. Another de Havilland Comet 1 plane crashed uh, into the sea. And then th that was the final nail in the coffin for this jetliner. They, they went back and they looked at it as to find out why. And they realized that the problem with this jetliner was because of its, uh, and it caused the crash, was because of its square windows. It was the square windows that took on an inordinate amount of pressure uh, at its corners that caused uh, hairline cracks to appear in the fuselage and caused metal fatigue. And over a period of time, all these little hairlines coalesced unseen 
and the aircraft just broke up in mid-air. What was unseen had devastating consequences in the scene. And that was the problem with the priests. They're unseen in their lives of the fact there was no reality. And when, that's why God addressed them first, that there was no reality in their lives. And the consequences and devastation to the nation and to the people of God was incredible. It is vital in the life of pastors and elders and church leaders you know, that God speaks to us first because this is a truism. You know, it might be banded about as an adage, but it's a truism. Like pastors, like people. You want to see what the church is like? You look at the leaders. You look at the pastors. And you get an idea of what, what the church is like. Because like leaders, like pastors. And God says, this is, that's why I'm speaking to you pastors and big leaders first. I'm speaking to you priests first. You see, the important thing that we must realize is that people learn. Why is that so? People learn 80% of the time from what they see. They only learn 20% of the time from what they hear from sermons or from teaching. Many of us pastors, we think, oh wow, you know, it's our sermons that change life. You know, no. What actually directs the life of the church is what they see in their pastors, what they see in their leaders, what they see in their priests. That's what directs. When they see whether in fact whether there is consistency in their lives, whether there's holiness in their lives, whether there's righteousness in their lives, whether they treat their family well, where they treat other people well? What are the priorities in their lives? These things, they don't know no, no need to hear. They pick it up just by watching. Intuitively, people become what they see. And that's why divas and celebrities always curate the public appearance. Behind the scenes, they can do anything they like. They can use all kinds of language and filth and everything. But they always are very careful to curate their language outside. Because they are following by the millions. The people who follow them by the millions learn and follow them by what they see. But by this time in the history of Israel, the returnees to the nation of Israel, the priests had become so spiritually lax. They were desecrating the sacrifices of God. So when people came and brought the lambs, sometimes it was lame, crippled lambs with blemishes. They accept that. According to the law, no, it must be a pure lamb without blemish. You know, this kind of lamb they would never offer as a gift even to their Persian governor. Oh, they, they accepted that. They accepted that. And then they justified it. They spoke half-truths to justify their actions. They taught half-truths. They taught the Scriptures half-truths. And they corrupted the covenant with Levi. Levi is the tribe of uh, one of the, the, the tribe, the Levitical tribe or the priestly tribe of Israel. They had no inheritance in land, but their inheritance was the Lord. And God appointed this tribe to represent him and to take the sacrifice of the people and offer it to him and to represent God to them. They corrupted this covenant because they misrepresented God. And they misrepresent God as taking only second best. You treat God any way you like, it's, it's okay. You give your second best, you know, you get, it's, it's okay. They misrepresented God. And as a result of their casual way and the way they, they lived and the way they acted and what people saw, the people lost their awe, their reverence, and their fear of God. It had a devastating consequence on the spiritual and the moral atmosphere of the land. You see, in absence of inner life, in the real, in, inner life reality in, in, in God's leaders, often there's consequences. When, when, when leaders lose their bearings and their inner life, inner reality of God, you know, sometimes 
you, you can sometimes pick it up. You know what? They've lose, they lose their passion. They lose their direction. They lose a sense even of, of intimacy and a love for God. Absence of inner reality in the life of God's leaders will lead to performance without purity. It will lead to action without authenticity. It will lead to servants without substance. All we're concerned about in servants is to build status. But there's no substance. See, leaders must always lead from the inside out. It's very different from leaders of the world. Leaders of the world, politicians included, always lead. Most politicians included. Always lead from outside in. It's the image that's curated that's all important. And when people see this politician with his charisma and all the promises that he makes and what, how he, the people that's following him, the crowds, or the diva or the celebrity, it's the outside in that draws the crowds. But in God's ministry, we must lead from the inside out. Somebody say inside out. And that's why the inside out must be commensurate. It must be the same. There must be integrity, both at work, in the church, and at home. It can't be that we just come to church and we shine our halo before we come on a Sunday morning and change our language and just look glowing and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother, how are you? And then we go back on a, on, on, we go back on a Monday morning and suddenly horns appear from somewhere and our appearances change and our language change. We can't do that. Can somebody say Amen. We can't do that. We must leave from the inside out. So how we treat our children, how we treat our wives, even how we treat our dog at home, there must be integrity. And somebody say amen. Somebody say, what about plants? Yes, what about your plants as well? In the way you treat your plants, okay? There must be from inside out. This lack of integrity, because you're not leading from the inside out, this duplicity offended God so much that He used language that would shock you. God said, I will spread dung on your faces. The dung of your offering. Dung. Do you, know, do you know what? It's dung. I would spread dung on your faces. Wow. Somebody say, ew. Terrible dung on your faces. And dung on your offerings. God rejects that. And it's such strong language. And some people say to me, but you know, I know. You know, God rejects this kind of offerings. God rejects this kind of what we give to Him from, our, from inside. But that is Old Testament, Pastor. We are living in New Testament time. We are under grace. We are not under God's wrath, right? That's true. We are still saved, right? That's true. We are still accepted before God, right? That's true. We still belong to God's family, right? That's true. But listen to this. Your offering still stinks. You got it? It still stinks to God. You say, well, well, I thought God still accepts us and there's no wrath. And that we're still part of His family. Yes. Let me give you a picture of what it means. You know, imagine you're... As a son comes home to the father, to the household, he stinks. You know, he's been out there and not having had a bath for weeks. He stinks. You know, his, his whole his clothes are stinks, body stinks. He walks into the house. Will the house accept him? Of course. He belongs to the family. Will the family welcome him? Yes, of course. But supposing he chooses not to take a shower, not to take a bath, he just loves being a stinko. He just wants to stink. Okay? He just wants to be a skunk. He just wants to stink around because everywhere he goes, he wants to stink. You know? And then he, he just walks around. When he sits with his father in a conversation, he hasn't washed. He stinks. Will the father still be his father? Yes. When he sits at a mealtime with a family having a meal, he stinks. Everybody can hardly eat their food. But he wants to stink. Will the family still have a meal with him and accept him as a son? The answer is yes. 
it will be there. But if it continues day in, day out like that and just continues to stink, I will tell you, you know, something is going to happen to his life. It just exposes his heart. It just exposes who he is. And he might lose himself, not because his father doesn't love him or the family doesn't love him. He might lose himself because of himself. God says the same. We take him for granted. You know what? We offer these kind of things to him. Ah, oh, God still receives because we are under grace, not under law. And we just continue to do it. And God says, these things stink. I'm still your father. I love you. Because of the fragrance of my son's Jesus sacrifice on the cross, you are still acceptable. But you keep, we keep just doing it. Something is wrong in here. Something is terribly wrong. And we might lose ourselves, not because of God's love, not reaching us, but because of us. So we must understand that when God gives us an Old Testament warning, it is the true warning, except that we need to see it under, in, in, in New Testament eyes and under the filter of grace. But it's still true. Somebody say amen. It is still true. So let's live fragrant real lives, okay? So, the, you know, we, we, the Bible tells us to do that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, the Apostle Paul writing, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, who is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for you in your lives. So we are called to live fragrant lives, to offer our bodies, our minds, all that we are, as a perfect, acceptable will, uh, sacrifice to the Lord. Because what Jesus has done for us, we give Him our best. Everybody say, we give our best. We give our best because Jesus gave His best. So we just give our best. No, best is never even good enough for God because our best is always tainted. But because of Jesus, it's acceptable. It's the posture of our hearts. So let's live fragrant, real lives. Okay, how many of you want to be a fragrance for God? Can I see your hands? Wave up in the air. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know, you smell good. Okay, fragrant lives. But the trap this warns us is when we fall into the apathy, however, when we think, you know, oh, why, you know, why should I live fragrant life? Because, you know what, you know, other people, they don't live the kind of lives that good things happening to them. So why should I live a fragrant life? When we fall into the trap or the apathy of, why bother with God? We will soon begin to ask, why bother to be godly? It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very slippery slope. It goes down very quickly. And here's the second thing we need to guard ourselves against in Malachi chapter 2. The first thing is, Ritual without reality. The second thing we must guard against in our spiritual walk with God is faith without faithfulness. Faith without faithfulness. And here, Malachi spoke to God's people and told them, faith with faithfulness, not just faith alone, not just a kind of a flash of lightning with great faith, and then dark darkness. Faith with faithfulness. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Can we read it together really loud? Okay, really loud so the whole of KK hears this and those of you are watching online so that the whole of your house will hear this, okay? Ready, go. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and has married the daughter of a foreign God. 
May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You know, the people have faith, but there was faithlessness. You see the words appearing. Why are we faithless? Judah has been faithless. I, I don't know if you've read or heard of a man called David Pawson. David Pawson was a well-known Bible teacher in my days. He's, 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 he's English, and uh, he had a huge impact through his tapes and cassettes ministry right across the world. Um, the late David Pawson, who passed away and went to be with the Lord last year, uh, he was preaching uh, in a factory canteen with factory workers there. And as he was sharing, uh, preaching God's word to them, suddenly a man stood up and said, uh, excuse me, can I, I just have something to say to you. He said, you know what? You know, just ask all these people around here in the canteen. Who do they go to when they got problems? They come to me. You can ask all the people on my street when they got any problems. Who do they go to? They come to me for a solution to their problems. No, I, I don't believe in God. I don't read the Bible. I don't pray. I don't go to church. How do you explain that then? And David Pawson need to actually think very quickly and just had inspiration from God, a word of knowledge. And he turned to the man and said, your grandfather went to church, didn't he? And the man said, yeah. So? He prayed and he read the Bible, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Well, the word of God says this. Because God's blessings goes through the generations, the third and fourth generation. Your wisdom you have today is because of God's faithfulness to your grandfather's faithfulness. That's why you got it today. But if you continue like that, mark my words, your children will be like you and your grandchildren will be like you. Suddenly there was quiet in the whole auditorium. You see, it's not just enough to have faith. We must have faithfulness in our lives. I came to know the Lord as a teenager. You know, now I may not look it, but they call me, you know, Warga Amas. <laughs> I intend to finish strong. I intend to finish strong. Not just faith. I want Skyline to have faithfulness so that every one of you will finish strong. Somebody say Amen. I don't want you to say, wow, God, we, you did great things, you know, this, this miracle happened here, that miracle happened here, five years ago, three years ago, ten years ago it happened, but now they've gone somewhere else already. Now you don't believe anymore. You had faith, but no faithfulness. And it's a diminishing thing because if you're not careful, it will diminish in our next generation. We already see it in our children. We may be passionate, but our children... We are like, how come you're not as passionate? How come you don't have that faith? We are building it. Guys, don't ever give up on your kids. Somebody say amen. It dims even with our children. It all dims. Because faith is not enough. We need faithfulness to keep faith burning. We need it. See, whenever we have lack of faithfulness in our lives, you see, when, when we have faith, lack of faithfulness in our lives, it's our inability to trust God. You know, we have this impatience with God. Sometimes we think, oh God, this situation, I need a solution now. You know, if I were you, I could do it so much better. Why am I still waiting? Anybody like that sometimes? Don't put up your hands, okay? We have an inability to trust God, impatience with God, because we have a lack of a real intimate relationship and surrendered life relationship with Him. We, we don't have that. So we are unwilling to take God at His word. And you know, you must understand, our kids see more than they hear. 
Okay, we can do devotional time with the, quick, uh, the kids, you know. Uh, don't give up. God hasn't given up on you. Say the word, say this. But when we come to crisis in our family, we react. We like, we are so impatient. We don't trust God. They pick it up. 80% of what they follow is what they see. It's what they see. So we must understand this. You know, if we want to keep faith burning so that we will be faithful as a church, we must see it in the skyline leaders. Somebody say amen. We must see it in the elders, the pastors, the church leaders, your connect group leaders, the zone leaders. Somebody say amen. Well, very soft amongst some of the leaders, okay? Can I hear a loud amen? And therefore, it must be seen in you as well. Because I don't want just a church that's good for a Sunday morning. We want a church that's good, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Can somebody say amen? Year in, year out, year in, year out. There's faith with faithfulness. Why are we then faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And this was what happening in verse 10. Malachi was telling them, that, why are you profaning the faith of covenant of our fathers? And you're faithless to one another. You see what? They were now, you know, they were now in the city living and things were not very good. You know, crops were not doing very well. There were people, so they lent money to each other. Jews are very good at doing that. And often the high interest rates. And when people couldn't pay, they confiscated their land and the property and sometimes made slaves out of these people, their own countrymen. Listen, they just came out of slavery 70 years. And now they're making slaves of their own countrymen. God says to them, you're faithless to one another. You profane the covenant of our fathers. You know what? And then he said to them, through Malachi, another mark of their lack of faithfulness was that they were marrying women who worship foreign gods. And they put it down to just expediency and pragmatism. Why was that? Because when they came back, in exile, not many women accompanied them, so not many women to marry. So you know what? Just married foreign, foreign women. Not so much foreign women as in race, but these women worshipped foreign gods. They were idolaters. They were people who did not believe in Yahweh. They worshipped they, and, and they, they married. Because why did they marry? Because out of expediency. Because the men were thinking, you know what? My shelf life is expiring. You know, my seed needs you know, somewhere to be deposited. You know what? And the best thing that can happen to my life is to have a family because that will make me truly happy. Listen, if you think there's one thing in life that will make you happy, that one thing, then that's your God. If money will make you happy, you think, that's your God. If shopping will make you happy, that's your God. If handbags will make you happy, that's your God. Okay, do I say, need to say some more? <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Oh, family must make me happy. A husband will make me happy. A married will make me happy. That's your God. And they say, you know what? My, my, I, my shelf life is expiring. I need a family because a family will make me happy. So I, I don't have any means to just marry. Because a marriage will make me happy. Children will make me happy. They cannot wait God's time. They were marrying foreign women, women who worship foreign gods. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Verse 11. You see, it was an ongoing problem. So much so that when Ezra and Nehemiah came back, in Ezra 8 and Nehemiah 13, they took the people to task for this, this faithlessness. They were marrying foreign uh, women who worship foreign gods. And Paul counseled, as you know in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6.14, uh, strongly against believers being unequally yoked to unbelievers 
in marriage. And we must think this because in our present day and age, many, many Christians, both men and women, are just moving in this direction out of expediency. They may have been strong in their faith, but somewhere along the line, there is like, you know what? Faith and faithfulness don't necessarily actually go together. God is calling us to faith and faithfulness in this, in this area. Why is that so important? Because if we are unequally yoked with pre-believers, it chafes all the time. It's like a yoke that's chafing on your neck all the time and you find it very hard to bring your children, to bring your family in, the, in that same direction. There is a similarity of purpose. It, 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 it's hard. And sometimes there may be hindrance and sometimes it may pull you down. I'm not saying that they can't come to know the Lord. They may. They may. But every time you're in a relationship like that, just think again about faith and faithfulness. Only you know what to do. Only God can speak to you what to do. But let me tell you a story. Okay, this is a true story, and I'm using it today with permission. Okay, um, many of you know that I go to the UK to preach virtually every year. About 12 years ago, I was preaching in the UK in the year 2010. And at the end of the service, a British um, medical doctor, a British Asian medical doctor came up to me uh, for prayer in the church. She was actually the sister of one of my good friends in London. And she knew I was preaching there, so she came and she came up for prayer. And I gave her a word. The Lord just spoke to me and I gave her a word. I said to her, Eva, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You will be above, not beneath. You will rise up, you will be an influential doctor, and you'll be leading teams of doctors in a large region. That's what God wants to do. And He will give you also, I said, the desires of your heart. Whatever desires of your heart. I, I didn't know it then, but at a point in time, there was another medical doctor. His name was Alan. Alan was, was, was trying to date her, dating her, and Alan was trying to marry her. In fact, Alan had proposed now. You must understand Eva, at that point in time in 2010, she was 35 years old. And, uh, and this, this British medical doctor was trying to marry her, and she had said to him, had proposed, she had said to him, no. And the reason for that, she said, he said, why not? And she said, it's because you're not a believer. He's not a believer. And he said, well, you know, so, she said, then he said, I will respect that, but I will never become a believer just to marry you. That's why he said, wow, as a man of, you know, obviously principle, I won't, I, it's either, I'm, I truly believe and marry you or not at all. But anyway, so they became friends. And just continued to become friends. It was 2010. Yeah. And they continued. And, Later on, he proposed again. He proposed not once, but twice. You must understand, 35, 36, 37. Propose again. And she said, no. And they still remain as friends. Four years later after that, now she's 39, going on to 40 years old. I was preaching in London, and they came to hear me. Both Eva and Alan, they came. And uh, it, was, uh, it was Easter, 2014. And somewhere along the line, the Spirit of God just moved. I made an altar call for salvation, as I will do today, at the end of today's service. And Alan, for the first time, the Holy Spirit touched him. He put up his hands. And that moment, he opened and surrendered his heart to Jesus and received Jesus into your heart with tears in his eyes. I remember that moment very well. And from that moment, evil opened her heart to him. And six months later after that, they got married. They got married. And within a year after that, God gave them a beautiful girl. 
and they named that baby girl Grace. Grace. And today, today, Eva herself, she has grown in her medical career. Today, Eva now heads the regional palliative care center in southeastern England, huge area. She's the head, not the tail. She's above, not beneath. And I show you this to tell you the story because this is Eva and this is Alan on their wedding day to tell you these are true people, okay? And this is the baby that they had. Okay, every one of you went, woo about the baby, you know, but nobody went, woo about the bride or the groom. Okay, I'm gonna, I know, okay, I know. And today, this is a picture of Eva and Alan. They just sent me this photograph yesterday. And this is what Grace looks like. She's now six years old. It's a true, true story. And this is the miracle God had done in her life. Just imagine, you're 35 years old, 36, you're a lady. You've received two proposals, and you've said no on that principle. What has God done for them? That's an amazing testimony. It's true. I just want to share this with you. I'm not saying God will work this like that all the time, but I want to tell you our God is a God who is faithful. He only has the best for you. Somebody say amen to that. Praise God. Faith with faithfulness. Now, many of us, we're searching for life partners. Sometimes we are on the web. We're chasing for life partners. Remember. Remember this. Faith with faithfulness. Remember this. You know, I'm not saying anything more to you than this. Remember, faith with faithfulness. But pastor, somebody says to me, I'm already married to pre-believing spouses. What should I do? Well, I would tell you one thing. The good news is they belong to God's family. Your spouse and your children are sanctified. 1 Corinthians 7, 14. They are part and parcel of God's family. Bring them here. Bring them to God's house. They are loved in God's house. Somebody say amen. Your family will grow up in God's house. Even though your spouse may not come, pray that he will be saved. Can somebody say amen? And that your children are sanctified together with your spouse and they're part and parcel of God's family. I want to encourage you in this journey because this is a journey that many of us are, are taking right now. But just remember, God's grace is sufficient for you and His strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Somebody say amen. And now, the third thing about Malachi, what he was saying. Malachi says, not only must we guard, you know, guard in a walk against, uh, with God against real, uh, ritual versus uh, and no reality and faith without faithfulness, we must make sure we guard against convenience without conviction. We live in a world where everything is so convenient. And we just follow the crowd, so we copy. It becomes copycatism. But there's no conviction, actually. Many young people are just copying without conviction. And then they eventually grow into kabiasaan. That means they're used to it. And then they say that's a conviction. Actually, it's not. It's just coercion by the masses and by the media. There's no conviction. And Malachi warned against this in verses 13 to 16. Here's another thing you do. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. 
For I hate divorce, says the Lord. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. There was another convenience that was happening into their lives right then. See, and that convenience was simply this. You know, they were just divorcing left, right and center. They saw the pagan people do it and now they did it. Okay, they married their foreign wives. But you know, just because the wife is, is, is foreign doesn't mean that you should chuck her. They began to divorce. And then they choose another one and another one. It's like this. They were following. It's like, you know what? When, when, this, when that happens, uh, you know, it starts from believers asking, why bother with God? And I told you, soon they will be asking, why bother to be godly? But I will tell you this, when believers, not just believers, but generations, a generation starts asking, why bother with God? Eventually, the next generation or the generation after that will ask, why bother being good? Why be good? Not now, why bother with God? The question is, why be good? Because whatever the world is and the world says, it's, it's good. And we have seen those challenges in our lives. We've seen how traditional good things like marriage and lifelong monogamy and partnership, you know, like clarity with, 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 with gender, the whole area of freedom of speech, all these are being squeezed and compressed in the public sphere so that we can't articulate these things anymore, what we believe, because we will be cancelled. Increasingly, this has happened right across the world right now. And where, where did it come from? This come from what was happening out there. So people are now flooding into this, including our young people, for convenience without conviction. It's copycatism. It's just flowing with the crowd. It's a crowd pressure. And the media is part and parcel of this. But for the people of God that time, God pointed one specific area of their practice about convenience without conviction. And that was in the area of their marriage, when divorce was now rampant. Because when you, you, you ask, why be faithful to God? Eventually, it translates to, why be faithful to your wife at all? Okay? Nowadays, we have men divorcing women as well as women divorcing men. But in those days, it was largely the men divorcing the women. Okay? It applies to both, both categories. Why be faithful to your wife? I mean, if your wife gets older and loses her shape, and a sex appeal. You know, just do a trade-in for a younger model. For a younger model. See, Nancy and I have been married for 39 now, 40 years, right? So people ask me, how old is your wife? I said, my wife, she's a 39-year-old model. Well, that, well, your wife's so young, ah? She doesn't know. What I mean is I've been married to her for 39, 40 years. And how... So what do I do? Well, how do you, but my wife, huh? she doesn't look like a 39-year-old model or 40-year-old model. I tell you what, you can change that. You say, how? You know, starve her. No, I don't mean that. Okay. <laughs> speak the words, you know. Uh, just speak the words. I believe because life and death are the power of the tongue, right? And if you, if whatever you say, you inherit. You name it, you claim it. You believe, you receive. Can, can somebody say Amen. So every time, you know, I see Nancy, I think, you're gorgeous. Yeah. If she, if she, if she, she puts her address on and says, how do I look? Actually, she looks quite frumpy. You look beautiful. <laughs> but you can be more beautiful if you change to another dress, okay? <laughs> and you will receive your reward. 
Can somebody say amen to that? You must have the conviction. You must have the conviction. So many people cried. Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Oh, they cry with tears. And like Malachi said, because of your unfaithfulness to your spouse. Have you forgotten your marriage vows? Before everybody, you said, till death do us part, and you kissed, and you hugged, and you cried because it was so moving. But five years later, it's gone. Oh, that time, that one was just, we just go through the motions. Like, because our friends were there, we didn't want to disappoint them. You know, but, but you know, it depends. If she, if she does 100% and I do, you know, then I'm going to do my 100%. She only gives me 50%, so I give 50. La. Have you forgotten your marriage vows? Whether she gets 50 or 60, you give 100. Have you forgotten that? Yeah. Have you forgotten you are joined as one body in Christ? How can that be you are joined? The Lord says, as one body, one spirit in Christ, with God. Do you know it's holy matrimony? It's holy marriage. Have you forgotten that you both belong to Him? And you made that vow not for the sake of the crowd. You're not, you're not curating it for the crowd. You're saying it before me when you made that vow. Have you forgotten? Malachi said, and what does God want from you? Godly children. Godly children. So, but when you divorce and separate and, and, and do... How, how, that's not going to happen. God wants godly children. And that's why we, 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 we continue to sow into the next generation. But, Pastor, somebody says to me, these words are quite ancient, are a little bit out of date. Now. You know, you live in a world that we see now. Divorce is all, all over the place. You know, in fact, sometimes if there's, you're not divorced, sometimes in a party, you are the odd one out. It's just like today, you know, I went, to, I went to Singapore. People ask me, not have you got your vaccination yet? They ask me, have you got your booster? Have you got your COVID yet? <laughs> COVID yet? Because everybody's getting COVID, right? So that's the question they ask me. So, but pastor people say to me, we live in a broken world and divorces take place and some of us have suffered broken marriages. I understand that. It was not God's original will. And it may well be that when you married, you didn't know many of these things. But right now, it has already happened and you are, you, you, are, you, you are a divorcee. I want to tell you, Skyline is your church. We are your family. If you were the principal cause of the divorce, repent before God and ask for forgiveness. Even sometimes, it may well be that you need to ask for forgiveness from that, the person who you hurt, your ex-spouse. But if you were the one hurt by your spouse's divorce initiative, okay, then... I want to say to you, release forgiveness. Don't let it warp you, you know, into, and tie you up into knots of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness because it will become a monkey on your back. And monkeys eventually go into gorillas and gorillas go into King Kong. And they will hold you down. And it will stop you from being free with God. So, let, let me just say this to you. If you have experienced a divorce, this is your family. We love you. We know there's been hurts. We know there have been regrets. We know there's been mistakes. But know this. God is God your Father. We are your family. Yeah. We are here with you and for you because we live in a broken world. And I want to say this to you. God will give you hope because you, God is leading you to the next phase of your journey for a new sense of destiny for your life. Somebody say amen. We are under grace, not law. You cannot go back and just say, you know what? That will always be a mark and it can never be abolished. The blood of Jesus abolishes that mark. Can somebody say amen to that? That's what it means under grace, not law. That mark cannot be held. 
we have gone, the pain. Some of us are separated here. Some of the midst of going through divorce. Some of us, we were the initiators and cause of it. Others, we were the recipients. And, and, and sometimes it's both. But whatever it is, we live in a broken world where divorces take place. And some of us have suffered broken marriages. But God wants you to know that He will give you hope. And He's a God of hope. Can somebody say amen? And let me tell you a, a true story as I close. You know, there was a, there was a person who, was, who was, went to a church. And in that church, that person uh, signed up for a 24-hour Bible reading. It was a 24-hour Bible reading. And he signed up for his 15-minute slot of Bible reading. They were reading the Bible, whole Bible through in, in uh, three days, 24 hours. People were taking 15-minute slot. And he came because he had signed up for that 15-minute slot that, day, that morning. He came into the church. And he was allocated. That was his slot happened to be Malachi chapter 2. So when he read Malachi chapter 2, he read, and I hate divorce. God says, I hate divorce. And he was struck in his heart, struck in his spirit. But he continued finishing off. And when it ended, he walked out of the door, went to his lawyer's office. Because his, that, mo that morning, he was meant to go to his lawyer's office to sign the divorce papers. He made it there, and he tore up the divorce agreement. And he went back home because the Spirit of God moved him, moved him and showed him for, for, for what he had done. And he began to ask his wife for forgiveness and ask if they could reconcile and start again. And that is how God changed his marriage and turned it around. And today they're still happily married. Let me close with one more story as I tell you this story. And it's a very powerful story. Some of you may have heard it before. A few years ago, I was ministering in SIBKL. And SIBKL is a huge church. In that particular service, maybe 1,500 people were there. I made an altar call, as I will do at the end of the service, you know, for persons to receive Jesus. And suddenly, as I made the altar call, I persevered because nobody was answering the call. I fear God told me, just continue to ask. I said, there's somebody here who needs to receive Jesus. Somebody, 1,500 people, you must understand. And suddenly, somebody in the second row, no, somebody at right at the back, put up her hands. So I acknowledged the hands, say, Jesus will come into your life. And then I continued to ask. And then somebody in the second row in the front who had not seen that person put up the hand, he put up his hand. And so, and that was it. I led more to the Lord in a public prayer. They prayed that prayer. The whole church stood up. They prayed that prayer. And at the end of service, I dismissed the church. And I went to, with the senior pastor into their room to drink coffee. And suddenly, the coffee room burst open. And somebody came and said, Pastor, Pastor, you don't know what happened. I said, what happened? Oh, you know, those two persons, only two persons received the Lord that morning. You see, two, two persons received the Lord. You must hear the story. I said, what happened? Well, he says, you know what? After, you know, church was dismissed, we all, we are counsellors, we went up to the first person at the back and we said to have you, do you put up your hand to receive Jesus? He said, yes. Oh, but can, can we take some details from you? Uh, uh, what's your name? So he said, that's my name. Oh, oh, so where do you come from? He said, no, actually I don't come from KL. I, I come from Kuantan. And the reason why I'm in KL is because I came up this weekend, just before the weekend on a Friday to sign the divorce papers with my husband so that we were divorced. Oh, said, said they, all, they all said, you know, Really? Yeah. But, you know, uh, but the lawyer said it wasn't ready yet. So come back on a Monday to sign. So, you know, I was staying with my friends 
they decided to bring me to, to this church. I, I'm, I'm not a believer, but I, I've never come to church before, but I, they brought me, so I, I, I want to receive Jesus. Well, that's fine. They said, wow. In fact, said a woman up there. See, I, I think that man down there who put up his hand, I think that's my husband. I didn't know he was here. Because he was staying with some other friends and I don't even know he's here. He also came out on a Friday and, uh, to sign the papers and because he was not ready, he, he stayed with some friends. And, and I think it looks like, can you, can you check? So they brought him down. They, they, they ran down, asked the man, excuse me, sir, he says, is that woman up there, is that, is that your wife? He looked. It was his wife. And they said to him, where are you from? He said, no, I'm from KL. I, I come from Kuantan. I came because we signed divorce papers. But it was, they said it wasn't ready, so I, I came. I don't know. I, I've never been to church before. This friend of mine brought here. What's the chances that a couple out of 7.5 million, million people in the Klang Valley would come to the same church on the same morning in the same service and both receive Jesus? What's the chances that would happen? It's almost an impossibility. It's more than an impossibility. And so they said, she said, actually, then the man said, actually, it's, it's my fault. I was the one who initiated divorce. But he says, I, I, I want my marriage back. So they brought the wife down. They looked at each other in a way they had not looked at each other for a long, long, long time. And they hugged. Both gave their hearts to Jesus. And uh, that's what the guys who came into the room told us, you know. And then from that moment, the pastor of the church rang this church in Kuantan because they were going back to Kuantan, you know. And they came and went to that church in Kuantan, took counseling, marriage counseling, and all that kind of things, and reconciled and restored. Today, they remain happily married. Come on. This is a miracle. And this is the God that we serve. doesn't matter what you've gone through. This is God's house. This is your family. But He's a God of hope. From this moment, God's going to take you on a journey because His grace is sufficient for you and His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Can somebody say amen? All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. Wherever you are, no one looks right now. Let this moment be quiet between God and you. He's speaking to you right now. God is saying to you, Will you receive my love this morning? And His love is here available for you. The Father invites you. He reaches out to you because of what Jesus, His Son, has done on the cross for your sins and mine. If today, and you've never done this before in your life, but today, God has brought you here and you want to open your heart to Jesus. You want to open your heart to Jesus. It may well be that you walk into this church on your own accord. It may well be a friend brought you. It may well be that you've been here several times, but today... God's love has touched you afresh. He's inviting you. And if you open your heart to Jesus today, He will come into your heart, fill you with a new life, forgive you of your past, cleanse you, and He will walk with you for the rest of your life to give you a new destiny and a new hope in Him so that you belong both to His kingdom and to this family. Somebody say amen. And all over this room right now, even if you're watching me online, to my right, to my left, front, front and back, if you say, Pastor Philip, will you pray for me? I want to give my heart to Jesus. Then at the count of three, just raise up your hand and I'll pray for you right now. 
Don't worry about the person to your right and left. Don't worry about it. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you in a you know, you know, quiet alley behind some shop lot somewhere. He died on you on a hill publicly so that the whole world may know that He loves you. So today when I ask you to lift up your hand at the count of three, and you say, Pastor Philip, pray for me. I want to open my heart to Jesus. You just lift it up and I will acknowledge the hand. Are you ready now, wherever you are? Open your heart to Jesus. Lift up your hand right now. One, two, three. Just lift up your hand. If you want to receive Jesus into your heart. You've never done it before. I see a hand over there. God bless you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. God is here and He's calling people to come back to Him and His love is made available. I see that lady over there. The Lord be with you right now. She can look at me, lady. I just say, God bless you. It's so good. Anyone else? You have not put up your hand, or if you put up, I didn't see it, just wave your hand at me, just right now. You have not given your heart to Jesus before, but today, you say, Pastor Philip, pray for me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Right now, at the count of three, we just raise it. One more time, at the count of three, if you have not raised it up before, one, two, three, just raise it up. Anyone else? I see the la- that lady's hands. Thank you so much. Anyone else? I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Sister, I will say a simple prayer. And that prayer is to ask Jesus to come to your heart. And as you do so today, the whole of Skyline will pray that prayer with you. So you pray that prayer. And if you're receiving Jesus also, wherever you're watching online, you pray this prayer with me. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Say, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Today I come to you. I open my heart to you. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and raising again, raising again from the dead. With my mouth, I confess you are Lord. With my heart, I believe you died and rose again for my sins. Today, I receive you into my heart as my Lord, my Savior, my Master. I give you praise and I give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand. Can I give the Lord a big hand? Praise God. We, sister, we've given you something that will just a resource to help you start your spiritual life. Please go and sign up at the help desk on your way out. You know, it's so good that you come, we welcome you into God's kingdom. We can welcome you into God's family. It's so good that you've come into God's kingdom today. Let's give the Lord one more big hand for all that has happened, that's happened this morning. Now, how many of you, you want to live a life of reality with God? Can I see your hands? How many of you, you want to live a life, not just a reality of faith, but also of faithfulness? Can I see your hands? How many of you, you want to live a life, not just following the convenience of the world, but from the Holy Spirit and God's Word, conviction in your life? Can I see your hands? If that's you, stand up on your feet right now as we close. I'm going to pray for you right now. Can we just raise up our hand, open our hearts right now as we pray together. Those of you online, you do the same right now. Let's open our hearts and begin to pray together. Pray in English, pray in tongues. Let's begin to pray. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you have done this morning. We thank you for what you've spoken to us through your word. Your word, oh God, never goes out of date. It is as real today as it was spoken 2,500 years ago in Malachi's time. And today, Lord, we open our hearts. We lift up our hands. Let's lift our hands together. Let's open our hearts together. Lord, we just ask, God, truly that you will continue, God, as we acknowledge your lordship over our lives, that, Lord, we will live lives that are real. Somebody say real. 
we will live lives of God that are faith-filled and faithful. Somebody say faithful. And we will live a life of God, not just by God, convenience, but on conviction by the Holy Spirit. Conviction. Somebody say conviction. And I pray, Father, that you will saturate us with your love this morning. Fill us with your presence. So when we go from here, we go under a fresh unction of the Holy Ghost that brings hope to our lives, that brings a new beginning to our lives, that brings a new journey, a new destiny. You have not finished with us yet. No eyes can see, no, no, hearts can, God, 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 no ears can hear, no hearts can understand what God has prepared for you and you and you and you and for all of us who love Him. Lord, I just pray for this, that you will truly, truly minister to each one. Father, thank you. And you know, at the end of the service, if you need any prayer right now, at the end of the service, the elders and the pastors will be standing up here in front. You don't worry about the people going out. You just come through. We will stand in prayer with you for your needs, for your family, for your children, for your finance, for your workplace, for your health, for whatever, for your family, whatever, for your spiritual journey. We're here as God's family. We are here as your family. You belong here. So Father, I bless each and every one of them and I ask the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine upon you, lift up the light of His countenance upon you, be gracious to you, both this day and forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray, all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Have a great Sunday, have a great week. If you were encouraged by the message, share this podcast with a friend or family member and check out our previous episodes. Thanks for tuning in.